This episode is brought to you by Charlotte's Got a Lot. The Queen City is a food lover's paradise and host to hundreds of incredible events throughout the year, including the International Symposium on Bread. Learn more at charlottesgotalot.com. This week, it's the season finale of Meet and Three. We're following up our episode about youth with a look at age and how aging affects life on farms and in kitchens. At the the most basic level, we need people to grow food for a growing global population. The question of planning for retirement or old age as a cook, it's almost one that doesn't exist bizarrely until it's too late. We also have a story about a food that might be older than you think. A recent archaeological finding might have crossfitters everywhere reevaluating their diets. Plus, a story about one of Atlanta's most historic and risque landmarks. There are dancers that have been there 20 and 30 years. Don't miss our season finale of Meat and Three, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Massimo Bottura. Hi, this is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robin. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs on Heritage Radio. It was at that point when people, that, that heirloom craze started and people really started, you know, they all these beautiful tomatoes were uh, uh, showing up on all the restaurants' plates across New York City. And, uh, and, and then it was kind of like, oh, where'd you get it? I got it from the farm. I got it from the farm. And we, people would buy more and more. There, was no, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't really purple carrots or purple kohlrabi or purple cauliflower at the time. That stuff was just sort of, and I think that was the beginning of when chefs were going down there and it got a lot of attention. You know, I got, uh, you know, when uh, we got reviewed at, at Judson, um, we got a three-star review, and then also Jonathan Gold wrote, uh, I think, my favorite review of me um, in Gourmet Magazine at the time in '02. That is Chef Bill Telepan of Oceana Restaurant in New York City. Part of the problem was is that it became it became such a like my wife would always say, you can't use that anymore because everybody uses that. And the problem was is that we, you know, me and a bunch of dozens of other chefs were buying a lot from the green market, but then there was the other lots of dozens who weren't. They would buy a bag and then you'd see their press release and it'd be like, oh, they're a farm to table restaurant, they're a farm to table restaurant. It's not, you know, I don't, yeah, it's kind of like you, it's, it's a bad term because, you know, you could say you're an American, what do you say, you're a seasonal, I would say we're a seasonal new American restaurant. And I guess that was sort of the term that sort of would say, you're sort of a modern, doing some modern cooking, but you're also changing the menu a lot. <laughs> that and much more with Bill on this week's episode of Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. Can you say what the show is? <laughs> uh, well, don't tell. <laughs> All right, <wait>. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to Andrew Talks to Chefs. Uh, today's guest is oh my God. our old I'm friend, no. Bill no, Telepan. No, no, no. Okay. You should do it. I thought we were going to spice things up. Okay. Have you start the show. Okay, go, go ahead. Maybe you should do it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. Okay. And here with Caitlin Friedman is me. Andrew Friedman. Good morning, Andrew. Hi, Caitlin. How are you? I'm great. Are we having a good summer week? 
I was in the best mood yesterday. Why was that? I have no idea. I woke wow. up in a good mood and it actually lasted. I'm in a pretty good mood this morning. So I would say a good 24 wow. hours this at least. This is the least. home stretch. This is the end of the week. And we're doing our favorite thing tonight. We are going to a movie. I know. I'm so excited. We are going to see three identical strangers. That's the kind of movie we often miss. I know. And then we we catch it somewhere and we, we're like, why didn't we see this earlier? It's yeah, great. We catch it on a small screen. Yeah. But we already have our tickets. Yep. I'm coming into the city. Yep. You're going to meet me after I'm work. I'm meet you near your office mm-hmm. and we're going to see it. Uh, and I'm excited. Um, so we have Bill Telepan on the show today, which we'll talk about in just one second. But listeners, I want to talk to you for a second. We are winding down or winding up? Winding down the season. There's only technically two episodes left after this one. There may be a bonus episode or two because I do have uh, some other interviews in the bank that I'll hope to get to you before that. But we're going to be doing some thinking during our, our little break at the end of August. And I'm interested to know what you would like to see more or less of on the show or if you have any ideas for the show. So you can... Shoot me a message via the show's Facebook page. You can co- put a comment on our Instagram posts. You can email me. I'll actually give my email out. It's andrew at toqueland.com. That's T-O-Q-U-E-L-A-N-D.com. You know, we've done more than 40 chef interviews now in a very short time. Do you want to see things changed up a little? Would you like to hear from... Me and maybe a critic. Would you like to hear from me and a food writer? Did you like the Phil Rosenthal Open Kitchen Show where we brought in someone who wasn't a chef or a food writer but sort of had a tangential relationship to the business and was a fellow creative? I also, Caitlin, I had some, uh, you know, I was thinking about Phil. Yeah. And now he comes from the sitcom world. Yeah. And I was thinking we could add a character. You know how television shows add characters? We could add a character to these intros. No. like a this wacky neighbor or a um, like a love triangle. Oh my god! We could add like have someone else just be here with us or come in periodically. Well, or I have- some kind of an antagonist. Like we could pretend this was a police show, and there could be, you know, this new sort of cowboy character who puts our lives in jeopardy. This is the worst idea. You don't like any of these? No, but the funny thing is I've been in all these record sessions for the for the show I'm producing, and yeah. I, uh, I look at these guys in the booth, and I'm like, that is the best job ever. What is? Being a voiceover oh, person. Oh, a voiceover person. Yeah, you could wear whatever you want. Well, this is what, this is, you don't even realize what's right in front of you. You could wear whatever you want to do these intros. <laughs> okay. No special guest And you would have the best job in the world. Okay. People listening have no idea how little Caitlin cares about being on this show. She doesn't care that people ask for her when I go to That's not true. Book events. People, that's not true. No, no you, you think it's nice, but it really isn't like, it's something you do for me either <laughs> right before you go to bed at night or as you're trying to get out the door in the morning. It's that's a favor. True. No, I actually really enjoy it, Andrew. I told yeah. you I have a fantasy of, of voiceover work. Okay. Well, I still think having an antagonistic third character here. Yeah. Just you know, we'll just what, add something to our marriage. It's our fourth season. <laughs> this is what television shows do as they've been around for a while to you know spice things up. Okay, they add characters. Maybe I could just pretend I'm someone else. <laughs> you could be a different character. You could be your, your other wife. <laughs> we'll come up with a story of what happened to you and me, and then you'll be my new wife. Oh my god, this is actually funny. All right, keep going. 
I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> okay. Or we could get someone else to play the part, and then you wouldn't have to do this anymore. Okay. One of our neighbors, we could be, we could have a suburban <laughs> scandal. Let's not. Okay. Bill Telepan is our guest this week. How long have we known Billy? Forever. We have known him so long that he came to visit us when we had our weekend place. That's like true. Before the kids were born. Before our kids were born. So Bill Telepan is the chef at Oceana Restaurant here in New York City. He, before that, was the chef of a number of really terrific restaurants. He was the chef of Ansonia in the late 1990s, of Judson Grill in Midtown New York, of his own restaurant Telepan on the Upper West Side, and of an offshoot of that restaurant called Telepan Local. And then about two years ago, he became the chef of a New York institution. It was like a New York institution meeting a New York institution and became the chef of Oceana Restaurant a restaurant that has a lineage of wonderful chefs dating back to Rick Moonen, another old friend of ours. We got to get Rick Moonen. We got to get Moonen on the show. He's in Vegas now, but he is highly entertaining. Anyway, I also wrote Bill's book. Now, Bill's book was called Inspired by Ingredients. That was his cookbook because Billy was known as, before people were using this term, farm to table, which we talk about in the show. Billy was kind of known as a chef who had a lot of, relationships with farmers who got his hands on really good product. That doesn't sound unusual now, but he was a real early proponent of the Union Square Green Market in New York when he was a sous chef at the Gotham Bar and Grill back in the day. And he also worked at some really other, uh, some other very important restaurants, Alain Chapelle in France, Le Bernardin here in New York. He learned young what everyone knows now, which is the value of great ingredients. And he developed a lot of relationships with farmers. And that was sort of his bailiwick. And that's uh, what he was known for. Now, of course, he's at a seafood restaurant. We talk about how all this makes sense for him uh, in this interview. But I have to say, a good part of the opening of this episode is something I was conflicted about. I did edit some of it out, but as you know, Caitlin, and people follow me on social media, they know because I I responded to a comment the other day that there is a type of podcast, what I refer to as the hang and name drop podcast. Oh no. Is that what you did? (laughs) I hate these podcasts. Just so people know, first of all, as far as I can tell, these podcasts are exclusively male. They are male. And I believe it is, I'm not just trying to be timely or PC when I say this, but only guys could think that they are interesting enough to get on a freaking podcast that people subscribe to and just talk spontaneously with no plan. We actually, it doesn't always sound like it. We kind of plan what we're going to talk about in these intros. But our intros are like eight minutes long. We're not talking like a- No, but there are people whose entire shows are just- Hey, man, blah, 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 I was over here, and I was at dinner. Who were you at dinner? Oh, I was at dinner with this other famous person. That's all they do. That's the whole show. Yeah, that's not fun. No. So I was having a day. I was just having one of those days, you know, an off day. And uh, uh, I had a little time before this interview, and I, I was walking by a Barbudo restaurant, and I went in and had a margarita, like at noon or 12.30, Then I went up to do the interview, and I just couldn't, you know, I use a lot of tennis analogies on the show. They 
you know, one of the things that distinguishes a champion from a non-champion is your ability to perform on an off day, right? Mm -hmm. And I was not a champion on this day. It was a good lesson for me. I Maybe it was the margarita. Yes. Well, you'll hear I had some more stuff when I got to see Bill. But um, it was more than that, though. I was just having a down midweek day. I was just had nothing left. Mm. I was I was used up. And we got through that, but for a beginning of the show, we were just hanging. And we did do some name dropping, but I edited the name dropping out. Oh my God, you did the broadcast. A little bit. Just a little bit, listeners. It becomes a normal episode very quickly. But <laughs> I'm interested. You're not selling this. No, but I'm in- here's what I was gonna say though. I am interested to know if people find it interesting. Because I, when I listened back to it, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. <laughs> okay. But I did shorten it substantially, and then we get into the whole thing. I also have to say there is an um, athletic term I use. So you'll see why when we do the interview. I butchered the name of it. It is, it is myofascial release is what I meant to say. That's a type of stretching you do with these little balls that you rub into these pressure points on your body. I got the name wrong in the interview, and I just want to correct the record for that. But that's, I think, all I'm going to say. Bill and I met. It's a great place. It's the same place where we sat several weeks ago on that very sad day when we found out Tony Bourdain had died. It is the chef's table. It is a private, I mean, it's really a private room technically, but it, the only thing in the room is this table and a banquette that's built into the room, and it's separated from the kitchen by just a glass wall. So you're just a few feet away from the cooks and the expediting pass, which is really cool. I wish I could do all my interviews there. Um, And that's where we met. And this was a a recent interview. And I think that's all I need to say about it. What do you think? I think that sounds good. So this is me and Bill Telepan at Oceana Restaurant in New York City. Here you go. Do you want me to do like a song or something? Like down, 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 down. Can I be honest, Bill? I, I told you this before we started. I, it's, we're recording here on a Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with me this week or today. Yeah. I am, it's so funny. <laughs> no, I'm laughing at you. <laughs> I'm toast. I'm toast. It's midday. Yeah, before I yeah. saw you, I dropped by Barbudo. Uh, it was that had early a, morning margarita you had, had mar- with Jonathan. That's I had it. a margarita. I to me. Actually, I had a margarita. Margar- I don't drink in the daytime. Never, even Not just when I have interviews. I agree. I had a margarita, but also I don't know what if it's I don't know if this is the right term biorhythms. A drink that I have before evening will hit me exponentially harder than a drink I have when you're supposed to have a drink, like in the evening. Right. Well, I don't. I don't know why, but but I had a. I went to Barbudo. I had a drink, even knowing I was going to do this. And then I got here. You said, "What do you want?" I said, "I'm just dying for some fish tacos and another (laughs) and a margarita." And you did it. And in all honesty, as we sit here, I'm having uh, some sorbet and there's an espresso on the way. I could have had a beer. I could have just... Should have went... You could have gone right down that path and, you know, got home like half Do I seem off to you today? Do I seem normal? No, you seem normal. I feel like I'm at the end of my rope, but I don't know why. Nothing's wrong. I mean, nothing's wrong for me personally. Well, you know what it is? The world, it's is, hot the out. world is spinning off You're its axis. You're carrying access. this bag all around town. I was carrying my equipment around all day. You got up early. Day. Maybe yeah. you didn't sleep as well as you normally do, you know? And then you just kind of like woke up and came into the city and, and, and you're running around with a bag in the heat and you got pants on and it's hot out. It's yeah. hot out. 
I went for a long bike ride this morning and I was sweating my head off. You bike now? Well, I think I'm training a for a triathlon. What? With How old are you? Can I ask? Fifty-two. You're you're a year older than I am. Yeah. You don't. You look. 42, I know. You look exactly. That. I was, no, when we were, <laughs> earlier when we were picking out, when I was mooching, <laughs> mooching my lunch off of you, uh, I was thinking, you know, Bill looks exactly the same. Thank you. Thank you. Runners don't age. Well, I'm not a real runner. I'm, I what do don't, you mean? I'm not like a runner. I just, I, I, I do run. I do exercise a lot, um, probably pretty much. Five to six days a but week. But am I mistaken? When I first met you, I, I you were running. Yeah, I, I, and I still am running, and I'm, I'm also swimming now. Thank you, boss. Thank you very much. Oh, Thank they. You. Oh, yeah, are you good? And Beautiful. then, um, Thank you. so, and I swim. Right. So we're training. I did a triathlon last year. So about two years ago, I decided that I'm getting old, and like right after I turned fifty, and I said, you know, I want to start. Uh, I want to learn how, I mean, I knew how to swim. I could survive if I fell off a boat, but um, I wanted to learn how to swim to exercise. So I started, I got, I hired a guy to teach. I took lessons to. Did you not grow up? I grew up in Florida. Everyone, half my friends yeah. had pools. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I could, mean, we, like I said. I swam a lot. I, mean, I could I was like swim, Aquaman but I wasn't like one of these guys who could swim a half mile. Right. Did you know even the proper like form? No, and the I didn't timing know. I didn't, nothing, like, nothing. That's what I needed. You do to like do. one, two, three, yeah, yeah, breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one, two, you didn't know three. how to do that. I didn't that. do any of that okay. stuff. So like literally, like I would take, I would, it would take me like I would go down a twenty-five meter, you know, whatever it is, twenty-five meters. I and I would have to stop four times when I first started. Now I could swim a mile straight. Really? Yeah. Without without stopping. It's amazing. It's great. No, it's I know. Great. So I so I so when I. Wanted to do the New York City mar- triathlon this year, but I got a, I had a knee problem, and so I had to get some work done on it, and my physical therapist would not allow me to run in it because I wasn't ready to do six miles because I'm now up to, like, building myself Especially up. on the hard asphalt yeah, of and, New York. And, and, and I'm not, like, I always have knee problems, it seems. I have this perpetual knee problem. So I've had two Is meniscus operations. Oh, meniscus. Oof. And then I, I had two operations, on one on each leg, and then I tore it again, on my right leg, and I said, I'm not getting any operation. So through physical therapy, I got through that one. And then I found out in October, I had arthritis in my right knee. Wow. So I got the platelet-rich, plasma-rich, I don't know what it's called, the PRP therapy where they take the blood out and they, they spin it in a centrifuge hmm. to get all the proteins and they inject it back into the area of a problem. And so that happened in late January and then finally by... We're, we're beginning of July now. So I want to say by April, end of April, I started running again. But it was like 20 minutes, 22 minutes. To, you know, this, and how do you feel that. now? So now it's fine. It's good. So I'm biking. So we're, so I... Do you have to do like some crazy stretching routine? Or yeah, I do. I sit after I do, you do it. I do, I do have to stretch daily. And whether I work out or not, I do a lot of um, rolling on a on the thing. So pretty much what every... What do you mean the thing? A foam roller? The foam roller. Um, it's so a great invention, do, isn't it? It's the best. You know, it is literally like a giant cork. <laughs> when I became a runner late, like a right. couple of years ago, I right. became a runner. And I got too zealous and I had an IT band oh, yeah. issue like around the hip yeah. in a place where I didn't even know you could be injured yeah. and someone taught me how to stretch my hip roll it out on a, on a foam roller yeah and change your life I never had another I mean yeah. knock on wood I never had another injury there's this there's a whole um, 
it's a it's a this guy has this thing because I used to go to this this one trainer who does like the high intensity in the role work, training workout stuff, and he introduced me to this whole process with a ball and a foam roller that you can that you should do. And there's six spots on your body, your calves, your your back, and your glutes. Yeah, your, this is um, the myo. Your, what do they call myolactic uh, something? Yeah, 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 yes, exactly. With the ball, and yeah. so and then you roll your. I would your explain IT this bands. to people who don't know what. It is, but I can't. Right, and then but it for feels me, really good when you do it. There are days where I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm like, I'll be cooking at home or doing something at home. I'm like my fucking back, I'm sorry, my back is killing me, and and it's tight. And I'll go roll, and you'll hear boom, and your back, my back will just crack. You mean you're on hearing this thing. your back crack. Yeah, and I'm like, ah, this is great. So you get up, and you're like, <laughs> I'm like a new man. Okay, so, now. <laughs> I feel like we sound like a couple old guys. Oh, my back. No, but can I ask you? The this soup is, is cold. This has nothing to do with... Well, it does actually have to do with being a chef. There were these. There was this rash of articles a few years ago, like Mark Peel in the New York Times, the L.A. chef, showing his like stretching exercises and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm 51. I feel like I have to do a little more stretching than I ever did before. Yeah. I, I have to do... I have to be a little more mindful than I've been before, but I have to say, I, I never believed it when people said this. I am right now in the best shape I've ever been in. Right. I'm, 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 yeah. I have the... the, the I don't know if I am, but... <laughs> I'm no, in good shape. Been, yeah, right, yeah, you've yeah, always yeah, been a skinny yeah. dude. Yeah. I've right. been... I've, I've had weight issues my whole life. Right. I, 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 I'm wearing size 32 jeans, and I have a couple of pairs of size 31s from when I got a little overzealous last year. Are you high-fiving me? Yeah. I, but, I, I, but here's my question. Do you want, I mean, you, like when you come to work, when you're walking down the street, do you, like, does, does being in your 50s feel like what you thought it would feel like? Like, I remember when I was a kid, I had a, a second cousin, and I remember vividly his 50th birthday party, and I thought, God, that guy looks really oh, old. Yeah. <laughs> right? But I don't think we look like that. But am I just no, delusional? We are. We are. No, you're delusional. Because, <laughs> yeah, because the thing is this. The thing but is I this. Thought, like I, to me, no, the but barometer can... is always tennis, right? Like, I can get on a tennis court with guys 20 years younger than me yeah, and win. But, yeah, but that's a skill set. It's not because you're probably in better shape than them. You're just probably a better technical mm, tennis player than that depends on the person. i mean there might be some guys who are the not right. of course, yeah. there's some people 20 year olds who are in bad shape of course but yeah. what i'm saying is that um what the thing is this it's with my daughter is the one who like keeps reminding me how old i am and i see it because i remember when my dad was 50 how old's your daughter now she's almost 17 oh right? my god so i'm like she's like dad you're so old i'm like you know but she I, says that yeah like she'll say things like that but but i but but I don't feel bad about it because I'm thinking, when I think about her, when I was 17, my dad, and my dad was 30, they're 30 years older. So when I was 17, my dad was 47. Yeah. And he looked old. Wow. But even though he wasn't, when I look back at the pictures of my father at that time, Can I tell you? he looked great. I have very few pictures of me and my dad. I came across, I've been put it on my Instagram the last two Father's Days, but I came across this picture. And in the picture, my father is one year older than I am now. But he looks, if I brought it, I took it out right now, you'd go, no way. He looks way older than I look now. <laughs> well, I think also, I mean, he's gray. listen, but he's you like, know, my, you know, I think, you know, uh, you know, certain people, there's people who are my age who I graduated high school with who look 10 to 15 years older than yes, I do. I actually sent a note, you know? there's this, uh, well, I'm going to say woman, because now she's a woman, I think of her still, we're not really in touch except on Facebook. Right. But I, I sent a message to this person saying, 
I just want to congratulate you. You are the only you are the only person from our class that if I ran into you on the street, I would recognize yeah. you today. <laughs> no, right, it's true. There are people I see right. their picture. I'm like, I wouldn't I wouldn't oh, even know who no, that person no, was. No, no. That's what I'm saying. That that's, that's so the thing. Sad. That's the, the only reason I work out is because of my job. Okay, so I was going to so, say, yes. let's bring this back to right. what, so I work <laughs> what out this show this, is nor, stay, supposedly right, about I, when I'm not day I, drinking. I, you know, I do, I've been doing Pilates for 15 plus years, right? right? And the reason I got into Pilates is because 15 years ago, I had hamstring issues from, you know, maybe exercising and work, right? Yeah. And when I, so I'm at the physical therapist and she's like, this is a Pilates stretch, this is a Pilates stretch. So I was like, well, I'm, you know, I should do Pilates. And, you know, our whole life is, and I have three, you know, three herniated discs in my neck. You to do? prove it, yeah. That say, I mean, I manage it now, that, you know, you bend over your whole life. So your whole life is like, you got can't, you so can't see the, me. Instead of the shoulder, you got the neck. Yeah, so yeah. you're sitting there. And, and so I started doing Pilates because it helped bring me back. And I still got the, the yeah. herniated disc. But- but that's, you know, that's one exercise that I, if, if somebody would say to me in their 20s, like, you know, chef, what should I do to be, you know, to be, continue to be a chef at 52? I'd say, learn Pilates. <laughs> Did it really help? Yeah, totally. I mean, it just, and my back, I have no back issues. Like zero. Like I have, I don't have a sore back. I have to crack it once in a while, but. I think that largely that, has to do with weight because when but, I lost weight a couple of years ago, my whatever back issues I had had right. just went away. Went away. Well, that might have, that might be it, but it I just went away. But I think you know I do Pilates and, and but I take care of myself because right now I'm cooking. Most of the cooks are they don't change in age; they stay anywhere from twenty to twenty-seven. You mean because of the rotation? Yeah, you just yeah. rotate them out. And they're all yeah. <laughs> Sebastian's twenty right there. Eric's 20. We're sitting, by know, the way, what do you guys call this? This the is the chef's table? table, right? We're at the chef's table. It is in the... It is in the uh, Tim, the executive sous chef's 25. Another sous chef turned 25. Another right. one. These are all 25-year-olds. I'm right. 52 years old. So, and I like... Uh, you're more than 26. I like knowing that I can go faster than them. So we are looking through the, a glass uh, wall into the, right into the kitchen. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's why Bill's literally looking around naming these people. <laughs> It's like the tracking shot in Goodfellas. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Bill, I yes. was coming over here. As I told, I don't know what it is. It's only Wednesday. I'm just like, I'm, deple- I'm depleted. You're old. I need a No, I need some, I'm not soup. usually like this, but I'm depleted. And I was coming over. I was like, God, you know, I didn't really prep that much to do this interview. And then I, this is how long we've known each other. Right. I totally forgot. You didn't forget we did a book. That we did a book together. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I kind of should I go grab it? I, I have one. I, up there. <laughs> I wrote. I kind of like. I kind of hopped into your shoes and like ghosted. Yeah, like, your biography. Like, yeah. I was like, how much prep did I really need to do to come over here? Not, well, there was, I, I guess, really. a, a sixteen-year gap. It came out in 04. So, yeah, but we started years. working on it in 02. Yeah. Or no, we handed. I don't remember when we handed it, but yeah, no, we handed it in at oh. I remember we handed it in 02. And we were gonna, it was going to be a spring 04 release, and then the publisher changed their mind and wanted to do it fall. So we actually ended up having all this extra time. Yes. And you were doing a few books at the time, so it was the actually The most I've ever done you. was yeah. during that time. Yeah, so I had you, four books yeah. come out in the fall yeah. of, four t- yeah. of uh, 04. Yeah, and so you, it was actually good for you because it gave you a little extra breathing room because we were at sort of like, we were at a good sort of pace. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and so... Uh, 
but yeah, that was that was a while, and it came out in '04. It was a terrific book, and I still have. I don't have any. I have twenty of them left. Well, I remember the title of the book, inspired yes. by ingredients, got ref. Was it Bruni? Yes, got Frank Bruni reviewed Telepan. Telepan, yeah. and the lead, or in the lead paragraph, yeah. he talked about. No, it wasn't the lead paragraph. It was the. It, it was, was in the, the middle first column. It was inspired by ingredients, and then it was like, oh yeah, he might have mentioned that. But he said that that was like a like a really good um, summation of sort of your whole yes approach. But then he also used that to say how much he hated the fucking color of the room because he was just like if the, if his book was titled inspired by ingredients, the dining room was should be called clobbered by color. I don't remember <laughs> that. Did he really say that? Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, wow. yeah, it was uh it was it was funny because there was there was a a guy who <laughs> used to work with me a waiter who met Frank Bruni at a bar and was talking to him and and uh and my friend said, "Hey, I I are you are you are reviewing my friend's restaurant?" And he's like, "Well, who's your friend?" He says, "Uh Bill Talbot." He says, "Well, yeah, I am." And and uh he had just written this article about stealth charges and um, oh yeah so he did that and we were in the thing and he was sort what of what was your stealth what did you so this he was would accusing be restaurants us of, that yeah we're ch- overcharging so we you know the way i set up the menu at telepan was uh i did a i did apps mid courses and entrees I love and that. and um and the mid course was an actual equal category yes, on right? the menu it was a trifold menu right and when you open it up the the center third of the menu was mid courses right which was and great. so which what he didn't understand though and considering he was based in rome for many years uh was that it was based on the italian menu you had appetizers it was basically the idea of Secundi. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he wrote this article, and then my friend told me that he hated the color of the room. And I went to I went home and told my wife, and I said, Holy shit, after that article about stealth charging, we're getting one star. And so I wrote him a note. I was like, we have to, I'm like, we have to write to him, and I want to explain to him why I'm doing the mid-courses, because he fucking he just challenged that whole section. And I wrote to him and this note saying I, you know, like, I appreciate you mentioned telepan, blah, 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 <laughs> but let me explain to you what the right. meat course is. And then he wrote back, I understand. He, like, he was like, okay, I get it now, basically. And you didn't feel like he was pandering to you. That felt sincere. No, it felt totally sincere. Yeah. Like, it was, you know, his response was. Bernie like, seems like a, I don't know. Totally. I had lunch with him once with a chef friend of mine. I, I, I traded emails with him a few times yeah. when he was in the critic seat. He seems like a decent dude to me. Yeah, no, totally. I he's, a, he, he's a great writer too. He's like, oh, I like it. God, you know, I mean, right? his writing's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. So you and, and I've met him afterwards, many because he has come back. That he he went back to Telepan. Yeah. He visited me at my at the the restaurant downtown Telepan local and tweeted it. He did it when he wasn't uh, reviewing. He tweeted yeah. a good tweet there uh, for the dishes. So it was you know we've been friendly, but but I was just like shit. <laughs> Clobbered by color. Clobbered by color. Anyway, so we did the, we did this fantastic best-selling book together. I'm surprised you forgot that we. Um, I didn't actually forget. It just wasn't no, right you know, there. The thing is, the thing that sucked about the timing of the book was because I we just closed Judson Grill a few months before, and I had not have a restaurant. Yeah, that's so never I didn't, helpful. I didn't get a chance to like tour. Right. You know, like, and you know, there was no, and the internet was just starting and it was pre like eater and shit like that. No, but even now it's kind of the same. You tell a publisher that your book's coming out and you're going to be 
professionally homeless at that moment. Oh, yeah. And they're just like, oh, it was like, wah, wah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> see you later. I actually did. Not oh, too bad. <laughs> I did one event, I think. I did something at the Harvard Club. The only reason I did it at the Harvard Club is because my friend worked there. Oh, and he was God. just like, so, and it was the most miserable dinner I ever did. I, he's great, my friend, but the, the guys in that kitchen were just not But we had very, fun on that book. We, 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 did, we did some farm shoots. You know what the thing I remember the most about from the whole thing? Well, yes, we did some great things. But the best thing was, was our post-writing um, Shunley dinners. And you introduced me to the Peking duck at Chun Li. I introduced Scallion you to that? Yes. Okay. And the Scallion yeah. pancakes. Because yeah. you're like, you gotta go. We gotta go there. We gotta go. There. Well, I, so we went yeah, there. Yeah, I had lived go. on the Upper West yeah, Side. Yeah, we both lived on the Upper West Side. And there was a period of time when I would periodically just duck into Chun Li. Yeah. Uh, you could get in there as a walk-in. You no, maybe not on a Friday. Maybe you'd have to wait. But during the week, you could get in. Right. And um, yeah. Peking yeah. duck because Peking duck. they did it in a very formal way. They, yes. you did not have to roll your own pancakes. They rolled them for you. They did it for you <laughs> table side. It was very fancy. It's great. Wasn't I don't. I haven't great? been there in a while. It's still great. Yeah, food's phenomenal. I, I, um, but I used to get the Peking duck from there. But they and I, what I was so what I would do is for Christmas we stay at home and we do a, a Jewish Christmas um, where we have um, Chinese. What food. does that mean? Chinese food. Oh, Chinese food. <laughs> do you go Christmas. to the movies. We do no. What we do is we Santa brings you know Beverly's Jewish, so we're, yes. we're half we're half Jewish. So we Santa brings us movies, so we celebrate Christmas. But we then we don't go to family because the following week uh, is a big <laughs> New Year's Day dinner at my mom's house. So we go down there. Uh, so I don't want to see them two weeks in a row, and and plus the traveling and working and stuff. Did so, you say you don't want to see them two weeks? No, in a it's row? not that. It's just it's more like I mean I love seeing my family. It's more like yeah. you know I'm gonna go down on Christmas Day. Yeah. I'm gonna so it started because we didn't want to remove our young daughter at the time away from all of her Christmas gifts. Yeah. So we wanted to celebrate it at home. So we stayed at home and we would get, yeah. it's a weird thing. Then the next week I would see my whole family. I would sort it's of weird. celebrate. Every family has their own. Yeah. So I'll tell you what was weird. I grew up with a fully Jewish family, everybody. Right. All Jews, everybody. Right. And in Miami. And they celebrated Christmas. With trees? They had a Christmas tree. Yeah, it's awesome. We walked into my grandmother's house on Miami Beach. The, the floor was, it was me and I had my brother and three cousins it wasn't a huge family and for that many kids the entire living room was covered in presents covered in yeah, presents but, did you, did but, you, but the family was in denial right because like I didn't get bar mitzvah right because I thought it would be hypocritical coming from this like beyond oh. performed family I mean I was a real idealist did everyone kid. else get bar mitzvah yes yeah. so I should have I would have gotten I'd probably you have more money in the yeah, bank exactly. but, but my um I was. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I was very idealistic. Right, right, right. I mean, I was a real pain in the ass idealist. And I said, "Well, come on, guys, you celebrate <clears throat> Christmas." And they go, "We. This is real. We don't celebrate Christmas. We get together one day a year and we exchange <laughs> presents." And the day, I mean, the, the level of denial. The day was December twenty fifth. There was a tree with lights. That's wild. Like yeah. they actually said that. Yeah. And then the meal we had, though, was full on Jewish. It was bagels and lox. Oh, yeah, that's and, good stuff. Yeah. 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 Do you like yeah, that well, we stuff? Used to, I love it. We used to do that when we used to celebrate Christmas with Beverly's family when her father lived in, in Philly and her mom was alive. And her father now lives in Florida and her one sister lives in, in California, so we don't really see them yeah. that, for holidays. So that's what part of it was, too, when they all sort of split up. And we were just like, you know, we're not going to go down anywhere. So we'd stay at home and we would get, so every year I would get, 
I would get the Peking duck and the scallion pancakes from Shunli delivered, but I would get the rest of the Chinese food delivered from my local place. Okay. Which I like. But this year what I did, because Shunli was closed down for DOH purposes, I think during that period, Yikes. or maybe they just reopened, and I had gotten my Peking duck through Eddie at Red Farm from the Peking duck place, which was amazing, and he sent a couple extra goodies with it, and then we had all our I regular stuff. I just had stuff, a Peking so. duck down there two weeks ago. It's good. It's I great. had the greatest New York night. We got together with some friends of ours. We went to Decoy. We had the Peking Duck, right. which is phenomenal. Yeah. And then we went to Comedy Cellar. Oh, that's fun. And saw comedy. Yeah. And, and uh, two of the comics that were there were Michelle Wolf right. and Aziz Ansar. Oh, wow. That's, she's big now. Oh, my God. She's good. My wife knows this. I have a huge crush on Michelle Wolf. Oh, yeah. Everyone is like, her voice is so annoying. I'm like, I think she is the most adorable, hilarious yeah. person. She's good. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever meet her? No. Oh. Okay. No, but I, I just think her. she's incredibly... Indi- she's also, I have to say, she, you know, she comes out looking like every other comic, but she's super smart. Right. She's very, she's very up on politics and world events and all this stuff, and uh, that's what I think is really... There's not that many comics that are like that right now. I don't file, follow comics like I used to when I was young. I don't know why. Really? I just don't follow them Well, it takes, you got to go out of your way. You do have to go out of your way. There's not a lot. I mean, and I don't watch the late night shows. But even so, there, you don't see that many stand I know, but you see some, but at least you get to know some of them. And then I don't like, there was this, there was this huge, like we were really busy one weekend in the, a few months ago on a Friday, Saturday night. We were packed for pre-theater. I'm like, What's going on? And somebody said, oh, there's comics at Radio City. He's doing three sold-out shows there. And I'm like, who is he? And they said, so-and-so. And I was like, who? who? Yeah. I, never, I can't even, I don't remember who the guy was. I, don't, I couldn't tell you who he is. So. Yeah, I don't know. I've gotten really, I've recommitted yeah. to stand-up because I came to college in New York in the 80s, which was a golden age of stand-up comedy. Oh, yes. I mean, I, I saw Ray Romano. I saw Dana Carvey. I saw, yeah. I mean, it was just amazing. Well, and and uh, so recently I've been, going to see his comedy again and I've committed to it and this weekend I was like I want to see some comedy and I went and looked and like I don't know I didn't, a lot, I didn't know a lot of the acts that were booked right. and I would look at the ones who were booked and I would just kind of look this is kind of awful but I would just you know I'd look up the people and I'd look at their pictures and I'm like that guy can't be funny <laughs> <laughs> it just looked like a generic comic you know the untucked Oxford shirt and the jeans and the sneakers <laughs> Right, stubble. I'm like, that guy's not going to be funny. Kind of like me. That guy's not going to be funny. <laughs> Bill. Yes. Is this, I don't even know if this is entertaining podcasting. You know, I... I, I it might not be. I um, derisively refer to what I call the... Um, is hang- what you normally do? No, podcast? I'm usually much more directed, but like I told you, I'm, I've had two drinks this afternoon. Right. We're so, old friends, and I just felt comfortable enough to come in here and... So what also, have you been I, doing since the book, Bill? I, I, mooched, <laughs> I mooched a meal, and I this is you know I derisively refer to podcasts. Um, there's a certain genre that I refer to as the hang and name drop podcast. Should we name? Which drop is some a bunch names? of people get together and they just hang and right. name drop, and right. it doesn't go anywhere. I feel like we're doing that. I feel like I need to redo. I was it. for the longest time. You Sorry. were, you know, there's this term that's in vogue right now. Farm to table. Yes. Okay. Locavore. That was your bailiwick. That was your, that was what you were known for. Yeah. You were the friend of a farmer. 
You were the sourcing guy. I still am. But that was sort of when when people were sort of, you know, when you were coming into your own uh, in the early aughts, (laughs) right? And had your own place, you know, Judson Grill and then Telepan. Uh, Late 90s. Was Judson late 90s? And Sonia was 96, 97. We didn't know each other then. No. And then Judson, I started Judson in the beginning of 98. 98. And got the three stars But you were not July. the original chef there. No, I was not. I was yeah. the third chef there. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. So you were there. Yeah. And you really were known, though, as one of the, the forerunners. The, you were known. Everyone had their thing, right? Like, right. Like, I do, uh, I'm a Tuscan guy. Yeah. I'm a blah, blah, yeah. blah. You were the, how did you think of yourself? Well, you really were known as somebody you know, who got their hands on the best stuff and knew what to do with it. It was funny because it didn't, it wasn't like I aware, I was like, oh, that's going to be my shtick. Well, I guess in a way that, because the thing was, is this, I worked with some, you know, I worked with Alfred Portali for many years. As, yeah. I was four years as a sous chef. And before that, I worked with Daniel Ballou and at, at La Bernadette. So all, all of, and then you I worked. You didn't work in, for Daniel Ballou at La Bernadette. No, I, uh, Daniel Ballou at, Le Cirque and Jobert Lacoze and Eberhard yes. Mueller was before Eric Repair yes. became a chef at um, at um, at La Berna Den, sorry. And then I worked for Alan Chappelle in Mich- in uh, in in, uh, in Mionet, France, Mionet. right? Yeah. And so these were all these guys. It was really at Chappelle that I really sort of caught. It was like um, it was these guys were all buying stuff seasonally, and they were changing the menu regularly. Yeah. Um, you know, we you and then with the with La Bernadette, it was the fish was seasonal and it was amazing. So always, it was always about the ingredient, the ingredient, the ingredient. So it was always about finding the best ingredient. So when I became the chef at Ansoni, I was like, well, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to cook. I'm going to, you know, I'm American. I, I, I didn't spend any time in Italy, even though I visited Italy. I didn't spend any time and I spent a little time in France, but I'm not French. I'm Hungarian. I grew up in New Jersey. So I'm American. So I'm going to be I'm just going to think in those terms and take all the influences that I, all, all the influences I've worked with and just mishmash it into sort of my style, which is, which for me was, I want to do this seasonally and, um, and have it, uh, and just sort of buy the best product. So yeah. to me, buying the best product meant it was from, it was seasonal, it was buying it from, directly from the farmers. And so back in 96, when I put my, when I started working at Ansonia, that was how I based myself. So I got to know a lot of the farmers. And I knew a lot of the farmers because when I was sous chef at, at Gotham, I had bought from them for years. So we have to explain, for people who aren't in New York right. City, the Gotham Barn Grill is on 12th Street. Yes. The famous Union Square Green Market. Two blocks away. It's only two blocks away. Two. So you, you we guys would go there. Me would and go there. yeah, we would go there. We would have hand trucks. I'd bring guys. We'd throw bags of Swiss chard over our backs. We'd we'd buy so much from there, and and Alfred would want us to buy from there. So we just and through those years, I got to know all these farmers that were growing. So f- after buying from these guys for four years, I got to know them really well. And then when I became the chef, at the time I was buying from them. Uh, by the like, it was crazy. Two car, two cab trips a day. I didn't have a car, so can we? You know, it's interesting to me because you just mentioned some very fancy restaurants. You mentioned Alain Chappelle in France. Right. You mentioned Le Bernardin. You mentioned Le Cirque when Daniel Belloud was there. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it is interesting. You you were sous chef to Alfred Portali at the Gotham Bar and Grill. Uh. And I have all, we've never talked about this, but I have always thought 
that there was a real sort of kismet to that uh, pairing, right? Because for all of the... Tra- and Alfred had a similar background to you. Yes. Alfred yes. staged at some great yes. restaurants in France. Alfred had worked at the Polo here yeah. in New York for, yeah. for Danielle. Yeah. Uh, b- before Danielle was at the at, uh, Le Cirque. Um, but Alfred, you know, at his <clears throat> core, whether or not I think he would describe himself this way... Alfred's an Italian-American guy from Buffalo, New York. Right. And you are a Hungarian ancestry guy from New Jersey. Right. And I think both of you guys are very, have been throughout your careers very well served by your sort of everyday American unassuming roots from a culinary standpoint. Yeah. There is, I think, an accessibility. You guys have, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I feel like both of you took... This training, this mindset, this these standards that you learned at these very sophisticated restaurants, but put it in a package that anybody. I think the from the Gotham through your own restaurants, I, I think almost anybody could come into those places, whether or not they were quote unquote foodies, whether or not they'd eaten in great restaurants, and not feel intimidated. Right. That the food was grounded in sort of. American reference points. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Am I making I, sense? No, I, 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 and I, I feel think about like those you guys things. I stay think, true to yourself, and I think we do. And partly, it's it's because if you look at all the, if you look at Gotham first of all, and 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 to say that Alfred probably isn't my biggest influence, that'd be crazy. But and for the reason being is that Alfred is able to put out amazing food at a very high volume, and mm. so in order to do that, we couldn't. You can't get fussy. You can't work with tweezers and put a flower on this. And the, the other thing is, we're since it's a big restaurant, you can't charge too much money. You want to fill seats, right? Gotham was 160 seats, so you had a lot of seats to fill. Yeah. And you weren't going to be able to be, you weren't going to be able to do these tiny little tasting menus and fill those that many seats for 200 plus, 150, $200, right? So you had to make it, you had to, it had to be, sort of accessible in a way that like, the way I like to say it's the kind of, you have to have the chicken, salmon, steak on the menu so that the non-foodies come, but you impress them with your your other dishes, right? And so you get, and so you're able to get, a, you know, sort of satisfy that creative, creative mindset you have by doing all this other stuff, but you still have to do dishes that, um, that are accessible that everybody wants to come to. When I worked at, at Judson Grill, you know, it's here in Midtown, so it'd be a lot of it'd be a lot of biz, big business, a lot of tourists, a lot of pre theater, just like it is here at Oceana. So you have to have certain. There's a lot of people, and there's a lot of mid level hotels in the area. So a mm. lot of people are staying in this area who might just be looking for a meal, dinner. Uh, for dinner, yeah. and they don't really. They're not that adventurous, but they. You want them to look at your menu and say, "Oh, I can eat that. I can eat that. Let's go in here. It looks good." I very distinctly remember years ago bringing clients to Union Pacific when Rocco Despierto was the toss of to the toast of to the town, and I was his publicist. And we had people in from out of town, and I thought I was taking them, you know, to a really cool experience. And they could, they didn't know what to order. They weren't food people, right? They want, yeah. They, they were like in outer space. Yeah, they were completely. Because like, a lot of times people they didn't know just what say, to you make know what, I'll get it. a salad and a pea. Yeah, and a, you, know, it, you can get very nearsighted right. if you're in the business. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's true. And like most people like, don't eat the way you and I eat yeah. when we go out to dinner. Like I never order a salad. I mean, I have salads at home. So that you had like in, so in all the restaurants I worked in, like and Sony was over a hundred seats. 
Uh, Judson was 250 seats. Telepan was 120 seats. Oceana's 300 plus seats. Yeah. So you end up, you know, you have to A, put out a fine product and B, get it out fast. Yeah. And so the brilliant thing about Alfred is that he figured it out. And so working with him for that many, as many years as I did, it, it was a huge, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think. But it was, for me, it was, a, since I understood how to do that. Foundation? It was a great foundation for yeah. me to go out and be a chef and, and be creative. But because I would be able to say like, oh, I want to do this dish. Now, how do I get it out in five minutes? Yeah. You know, what do I have to do? Get it out in five minutes, but also make it taste like it's, it's you know, amazing. But do how do you take it to a point where... You know, because you can't cook, you can't cook all the vegetables to order. Because forget it, you can't. You know. Well, I mean, this, is, you all, can, this is your but, interview, but, but to talk about Alfred for a second. Yeah. Do you feel? I feel like when the Gotham Bar and Grill came along, right? Or when Alfred came to the, the restaurant opened in '84. Alfred came in in '85. Huge restaurant. Here comes a guy who had this tr- this incredibly sophisticated training. Right. To me, Alfred is at heart a troubleshooter, right? That, he loves to solve a riddle, a problem. And he wanted to do very ambitious food at a time when that's right. how people were making their name. Right. He was, he was handed this big box, big box restaurant yeah. at a time when people didn't think of volume and fine dining in the same right. breath, right? And I feel like he sort of crack that code. That, and it also seems, that seems like a distinctly American notion to yes. me. Yes. That you would want to even try to take all of the training that you had at a place, like for him, Trois Gros and Gerard and all yeah. these places. Yeah, it worked great and, and apply it to a place with 160 seats. And yeah. what a lot of people don't know is for, and if you're a younger listener, you don't know this history, the Gotham became very well known for its presentations. Yeah. And, but a lot of that stuff was driven by, as you know, it was driven by uh, logistics, right? Yes. So it was known for vertical food, tall right. food, right? But why was that? Because if you cut a piece of salmon in half, it cooked faster, and then you stack the two halves, yeah. and it looked cool. Right. But the, the initial reason was, how do we keep the food flowing out flowing of the kitchen? Out, right, exactly. Right. No, it's, it's when I think about... Well, you, you were there when for I this. Was, no, was, when it, I, was it mind-blowing at the I time? I came right out of school and worked there and never worked in a, in a place in New York, mind right. you, a, a place that was getting... It was like, I think Alfred was already there two years. It was one of the most popular or the hottest restaurants in, in the city at the time for sure. Yeah. And you know, it was busy. We'd had mayor. The mayors, the mayors would all be coming in, all the movie stars. So it was crazy. And here we are pumping out 350 covers on a Saturday night with all this tall food. Yeah. And, um, but it, there was a system, there was a way to build things. And it, once you learn how to do that, it's just like putting anything else together. You just had to, you know, and, and, that, and that was the key is that he, he did figure that out. And, and I think everybody who worked for him, and I think every restaurant thereafter was like, well, Gotham Bar and Grill's 160 seats. Why can't you put out food like that? So you had to learn that. And now it's the norm. Right, I think every place has a way of of you know everybody you know that's a big American restaurant. Yes, you have to. I have to figure that out here. Like so, and you can imagine here we plate all the food here. I'm like, how am I going to cook the food and then have all these people plate it and still what keep you, it going? You're gesturing yeah. toward what you mean. It comes from uh, the so various stations. So we have yeah. So we and have, you have a pass. Yeah, that's here at Oceana, we have kitchen. like a, we have an island kitchen for the hot for the hot area, 
and all the food gets cooked by the cooks and then passed up to the front. And there's a, so it shows up so, like, a, yeah, like sizzle so plates or whatever. Sizzle plates yeah. or pots and pans, and and so there's and then it gets assembled by myself, by the, whoever's and, expediting. And, well, there's the, we have an expediter. No, the expediter has to just expedite. He can't plate. Okay. So we have a series of platers, and generally it's a lot of entry level cooks coming in. It's a great introduction for anybody who hasn't worked oh, in a restaurant great. because they could come in and once they learn how to plate a dish. Yeah. Then it, you know. Then and they could see how food is being cooked. Then they sort of gradually work their way onto the backwards. line. Backwards, they work their way back. I guess backwards. Isn't that kind of the reverse? Well, it is and it isn't. It's it. it is I've never heard because I, they have to. They but they, I, this they don't, makes total they don't sense cook to me. Anything. Right. So you're not at their mercy to get stuff right executed right. correctly. They just have to plate it. They nicely. just have to know how to assemble it. Right. That's it. That's sort of. Yeah. Is that normal? I've never heard it's, of that. I've never worked in a place like that before. That, this was is that the first system time in it, place when you came yeah, here? Yeah, it was exactly. They had platers well, How here. far back does it go? Do you know? Is that like a Rick well, Mooney thing? No, no, no. I think when they built this, I don't know what they did there, but you know, a lot of, you know, when you think about like the French laundry, I think a lot of, a lot of French restaurants, Boulet was like, that. I remember trailing at Boulet where the cooks would cook stuff and they would pass it up and it would be David and a bunch of like sous chefs are plating the food and the cooks would cook the cook. But those are sous chefs. You're not but talking about an entry it, level person. But they would t- but here, yeah, but what the sous chefs were able to do, and I have it's usually I have a sous chef expediting. Yeah. And then it's usually me and one or two sort of entry level people. Yeah. And maybe another sous chef. Like yeah. on a busy Saturday night. It's me and it's it's two sous chefs, me and two platers. Okay. And so what I can do or the sous chef can do and and, and what and what the expediter, we taste things a lot and then We'll play them, or yeah. the, the other people will play them. And if there's a problem, or this way I can watch what's going on in the kitchen. When I'm having to focus on expediting and screaming, which I can't, you know, like I'm tired of hearing my voice sometimes, but you get to watch what's going on and make sure it's still flowing well. If you see somebody going down, you can jump in and help. Right. But the platers, then, but you still have these people who are just putting, assembling stuff. But together. I love this. I mean, I've no, I'm not it's a, a great professional system. cook. This is, I feel like, I feel like for any meandering we did at the beginning of this interview, we, ju- I just, we earned our keep. Yeah. For cooks and chefs who are listening, I bet that's a revelatory well, I'm, notion. Well, I, I, I think there's places that do it this way. I'm, don't, I've never seen it. I don't know. Uh, that seems... Well, I, I, see, in all the kitchens I've worked in... But it's one of these in, things, as soon as you say it, you're like, oh, that makes total sense. Well, no, sense. I think when I worked at La Bernardin, we... I can't remember. Gosh, I'm, not, I'm trying to think. If we didn't... Well, I guess we plated dishes, but how we passed them forward. They might, they might do it differently now. But we would... Um, yeah, but you're saying as people go, go from the past... To a station, yeah, they've seen the finished dishes. They've, they've seen, the seen how it all goes right. to like it's. I and then a lot of times, like in the early, like in a, in a, right before service starts, when we're when you're just beginning service, they get to watch how things are yeah. being prepared and cooked. And then sometimes they go. The the, the more the ones who take initiative will jump in and, and say like, sure. oh, I want to uh, you know learn to do you know learn. How so, to do this. Bill, I mentioned the term farm to table a yes. minute ago. Does that term bother you? You know, it only bothers me when. Most guys I know your age and older, it really, because they're all like, yeah, of course. Well, I that's, mean, that's what we've been doing forever, but we didn't call it anything. I think, I think when you think about every, any country's um, cuisine, yeah. it's always based on farm-to-table cooking. Right. Most chefs I know think it's a dumb term. I mean, it's, it is. It is. It's kind of a... The, the, the one term that always was local Like, war. did you call it... Like, 15, I, I, 20 I years ago when I you were doing your thing... I don't know what I... There was what no I, I name don't, for I, it. I didn't... know. It was... There was... Uh, 
Yeah, it was farm weird. forward. I mean, yeah. people would use terms, but there was and no you know, official name. There was for already it. people doing what I what I did, and like you know, there's I, I had the most embarrassing time. Like one of the farmers, like oh, Bill, and I'm standing next to Tom Clickio. and the, where's the guy, this at the market? At the market, and it's like Bill was one of the Bill was one of the first people to ever do it. I'm standing next to Tom Clickio. I'm like, um, yeah, I'm more second generation. <laughs> people like Tom, Alfred, John, George, even Danielle, earlier. Whoa, 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 whoa. Boulay, they all even earlier. They were all Larry Forgione. Well, Larry Forgione was the was the father of that stuff on the East Coast. Yes, on the East Coast. Yes. Oh no, you know Alice Waters, of course, and, yeah. and her brood. They all were doing stuff out yes, there. Yes, you know? but there was Larry. There was Jean Louis Paladin. Jean Louis Paladin was seventy nine. He was sourcing. Amazing. He was well. He was the one who sort of introduced everyone to diver scallops. Right. And he was the one who I think when Laberna Den wanted to come over here, he they he sort of introduced them to Eric. No, not Eric. Like Gilbert and oh. Eberhard and introduced them to the woman Ingrid up in in Maine oh, okay. yeah. with her scallops oh, and and okay. oh, the, yeah. the piggy toe crab and um you know all the it was it's. I mean, yeah, John Louis Paladin. It's crazy. Yeah. So that's how old were you in '79? <laughs> Thirteen. Yeah. Thirteen. Maybe. Yeah. So at least second generation at earliest. Maybe third. Maybe or fourth. third or fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it wasn't until. What did Tom Calicchio say when someone said he that? Laughed. Yeah, he laughed. I must have thought that was, was so hilarious. Gracious. I was laughing. Like Tom was laughing. But the thing about it was <laughs> the craze started. I like it all. Sort of. It was like this perfect storm of. Tim Stark, I, this is where I think it all started, was Tim Stark. You have to explain who that is. Tim Stark runs Eckerton Hill Farms. It's in Pennsylvania. And one day in 1996, when I was at Ansonia, my friend Charlie Kiley, who ran the grocery for many years, was at that the Green Market. That was, a, that was one of the restaurants that predated the Brooklyn phenomenon. Oh, yeah, no, it was the, it created, I think, at that early, point. Yeah, it, it was, was the early. early stirrings of, the, yeah. of, of what is now... That was on Smith Street, which yes. is one of the main restaurant rows in Brooklyn. So Charlie called me up and said, Bill, you got to come to the Green Market now because we were already going down there. He's like, you got to come down right now because this guy has like 50 different varieties of heirloom tomatoes. I mean, yeah. we didn't say the term heirloom before that. It was mm-hmm. just, we weren't using these things. And yeah. he, here is this guy shows up, there's 50 of them. So it was at that point when people, that, that heirloom craze started and people really started, you know, they all these beautiful tomatoes were uh, uh, showing up on all the restaurants' plates across New York City. And, uh, and, and then it was kind of like, oh, where'd you get it? I got it from the farmer, I got it from the farmer. People would buy more and more. There, was no, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't really purple carrots or purple kohlrabi or purple cauliflower at the time. That stuff was just sort of, and I think that was the beginning of when chefs were going down there and it got a lot of attention. You know, I got, uh, you know, when uh, we got reviewed at, at Judson, um, we got a three-star review. And then also Jonathan Gold wrote, uh, I think, my favorite review of me um, in Gourmet Magazine at the time in 02. And, and uh, he sort of compared me to other chefs who were doing this local thing. Mm-hmm. And Chris, the part of the problem was is that it became, it became such a, like my wife would always say, you can't use that anymore because everybody uses that. And the problem was is that we, you know, me and a bunch of dozens of other chefs were buying a lot from the green market, but then there was the other lots of dozens who weren't. They would buy a bag and then you'd see their press release and it'd be like, oh, they're a farm to table restaurant, they're a farm to table restaurant. It's not, you know, I don't, yeah, it's kind of like you, it's, it's a bad term because, you know, you could say you're an American, what do you say? You're a seasonal, I would say we're a seasonal new American restaurant. And I guess that was sort of the term that sort of would say, 
you're sort of a modern, doing some modern cooking, but you're also changing the menu a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm one of the people who trades in these terms as, as a writer, right? Yeah. But my, my strong feeling is that most chefs I know, if they could not have to come up with a term for what they do or be grouped within a trend, yeah. they would rather not. I think most... You know, you look at writers, okay? Or you look at no. filmmakers. Well, no, because you look, okay. let's take movies. You look at Wes Anderson. You look at Steven Spielberg. What does Steven Spielberg make? Steven Spielberg movies. What is Wes Anderson? No, but he. <laughs> he what does, does Wes Anderson make? Wes Anderson movies. Right. Right? They're not part of a, like a cluster of, of, you know, 15 filmmakers. Right. And you, when you and say the name like Wes chef, Anderson, you know, you know it. Right. And I feel like most chefs I know, you would probably prefer that it just be called Bill Telepan's Food. But I'll tell you the, what the difference. Wait, before you do yes, that, am you're, I wrong? You're, you're correct. As opposed to farm to table, but, local for. But here's blah, the blah, problem blah. with food as opposed to films is that with food, you know, people want people want to have oh I want French tonight I want Italian so let's look at Italian restaurants it's it's you can't you you have to to explain it to somebody like a, um, a the every man you'd have to say um, so let's I, I want I want American farm to table American restaurant you know <laughs> Dude, so you have to group it like I want I want something that's you know vegetable focused or or I don't know like I want some green market cooking or as opposed to French cooking or Okay, can I be honest? Though? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No, I, but I feel like you are talking about the average diner across the land, you know, just going out. <clears throat> I don't think you're talking about the average New York City diner who's coming to a restaurant of the of the caliber right. and of the uh, that you have been in your whole professional career. But for example, I think so, this is, listen, I so this, I'm a the, sh- as as Mary Sue Milliken called them on the show, the one percenters. Right, well, right. This, these are not normal. People aren't coming. People are not coming to your restaurants because they need sustenance. Well, I mean, they're coming is, here. <laughs> no, this they, is a different there story. Is a meat, they are is, getting fed, but right. that's not no. But they're coming here, like for this. This isn't just dinner. See, but you this know, isn't for, like if you're in Miami where I grew up, and I went to like uh, the Blue Grotto restaurant. You know, that was yeah, an yeah, Italian yeah, restaurant yeah, with yeah, garlic yeah, knots yeah. and yeah, spaghetti yeah, yeah. and. And, a, and an Italian salad with the oil and vinegar. But that was, that's what I think of when you say what you just said. I don't think of like this higher echelon. No, but I guess, but as you, when you were, and this was the, the difficulty, it was like when you were, like when, and I remember this, especially when I was opening Telepan, it's like, how would you describe Telepan to the, the public, to press? Like you'd have to call it something. Right. You can't call it a French restaurant. No, I agree with that. But you can't call it a Bill Telepan restaurant either because I'm not that famous. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm on TV, so it's right. like, you know, you could say, you could say Alex Gernichelli, or you could say, uh, you know, Jeffrey Zakarian, and people will know that it's these, maybe. They'll know the names, but know they won't know names, what that right? means on the plate. Like, so, for example, what would it mean to the average Joe, who I, I want to get everybody to hear, I don't want just a 1%. I'm a, I agree with that, but I, what, I, what I'm saying, though, is I think most chefs I know would prefer yeah, if it uh, could yes, be that. Yes, yes, but the, yes. They would prefer to not have a marketing person you hire a new agency and the, so what, what style of food do you do? Yeah, like, yeah. I think most chefs, almost probably every chef I know would be like, they would love to be spared that exchange. Yes. No, we all would be, of course. But it's like, but 
I'm not saying it's not a practical no. reality, but I, I, I do think it is. But I, and I also think it's partially BS, right? Because it, well, here's you can what we have all these do. overlapping circles, right? Right. But what it omits is the parts that don't overlap, right? Here's, so like, there's an element of what you do that fits, quote unquote, farm to right. table. But then there's like, but that doesn't explain that there's this Hungarian influence because that's right. how you grew up, right? Right. That doesn't exactly. It doesn't explain. It doesn't include the things that make you you. That's why my life that's is so fault? much easier now because I get to see what kind of restaurant. Oh, it's a seafood restaurant. Okay, so can we talk about that? <laughs> Bill, you had, you know, you and I were out of touch, or barely in touch for a while. Right. Yeah, you had some restaurants close. Yeah. One of them had your name on it. Two of them had my name on it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was an offshoot. Oh, we of the... talked about it. Remember before when I when what? I first opened it, you were when I was saying we were finally gonna call a telepan, you were like, nobody does that. Only French people do that. You said this to me. Did I? Yeah. And you were like, You're you're probably like the only American. And I would be like, Well, David Boulay's American. Yeah, but he, you'd be like, but it's a French restaurant. Like And a French name. And it's a French name. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but he's American. So you always said to me, like, nobody opens their restaurant. No American chef opens their restaurant using their name. And, and Did I think part, it was a mistake? No, no, you were, we weren't sure. Or I thought it was fact. audacious. You scared me, I think, a little about it because really? I think I was like, I'm trying to think of like, I before, and this is 05, so I, I don't can't know. I imagine if was, I had that ability, that, that, uh, no, I mean, with it you made me point. think, it made me think about Maybe it. Maybe now. <laughs> yeah, I made me I think can't about it. Really? That. Yeah, okay. so anyway. And part well, of it I'm was sorry. because I didn't mean no, no, to no, do that. but no, but I mean, and I didn't because that you, wasn't the worst you put, observation. No, I mean, that was kind of true. Yeah, and there was. I don't think there was. I don't, and I still don't think anybody has. Jonathan Benno's fine dining place is going to be called Benno. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. That's that. Go. It's a roll of the dice. But you know what? I kind of I couldn't come up with a better name. Any name that I wanted, um, people didn't like. And when we were calling it Telepan. Um, uh, so what we were doing was we were, um, I was coming up with all these names and we finally went to a bunch of friends. I remember Beverly sending some emails to people and they kept sending these silly names and they would oh, say God. like, so they'd be like, call it the, the spoon and the, and the cup. And, oh. But actually you should call it telepan. Oh, people would say People that. say you should just call it telepan. Cause we were, yeah. and, and my partner Jimmy wanted to call it telepan. So I was like fine with it. The only thing I was nervous about was if it was one of these one, like, you know, one year and done, like Telepan Local was. But it turned out to be great that I did it. And it was, what was great about it is that, um, you know, the restaurant did well, it was successful for 10 years. We, we had a good yeah. run. Um, it, so a lot of people knew the name. And yes. even when they come to Oceana now, they look at my chef jacket, like Telepan, is that, are you anywhere? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, if, see this is how well known I am. They're like, are you Bill Telepan? And they're like, yeah, of course. So, but. But it'd be so, and a lot of good has come out from it. I don't, I think, you know, in terms, I don't know how my daughter feels about it. It's kind of weird because, you know, like there are people out there who know the name and they'll say to her, oh, your last name's Telepin. Is it from the restaurant? So she doesn't says, think that's yeah. cool? Yeah, I guess she, no, I think she thinks it's cool. And, um, but I also think that it was, you know, it helped me with a lot of the, um, with my, my nonprofit wellness in the schools. I don't think it was a bad thing. So like, I don't know, like seeing now after it closed, I get a lot of people who say, oh, you're Bill Telepan. I loved your restaurant. Yeah. But you know what else? What? To me, the naming of that restaurant, putting your name on it was a version of what I was, we were talking about a minute yes. ago. Yes, yes, 
Exactly. It was a, a way of saying this is where you can come get Bill Telepan's yes. food. Yes. And you had been in enough places and enough had enough press at that point yes. that New York diners knew what that meant. Yes. Yes, that's true. They knew what it meant. Yes. You had some you were doing the, the smoke are you doing the smoke trout here? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I have to tell people this is, I always say this is a chef show, not a food show. <laughs> Bill, will you do you change it seasonally like you still used do? To? Yeah, yeah. We the did seasonal we did, accompaniments. We actually ran it one year as the spring one, just because it was but this Bill, is the first year we're changing. We just Bill put the new makes version. The best smoke smoked trout. Do Thank you remember you. you used to slip it to me once in a while? Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to. We come only, by, I used to come by if I was having a dinner party or something. I would come get it. I would make the rest of the stuff, yeah. but you would give me the trout. We just didn't. We we do it here, um, and but I don't serve it at lunch. Really, it's too hard. It's too it's too busy at lunch to get it out. It's something that's that, already smoked. The, but the, the the rest of the dish is a is a too labor intensive. Is is um yeah it would be take too long to okay. get out. My theme song and break music is from After School Specials album Double Barrel Single Entendre, which is available on iTunes. This episode is brought to you by Charlotte's Got a Lot. The Queen City is a food lover's paradise and host to hundreds of incredible events throughout the year, including the International Symposium on Bread at Johnson & Wales University. HRN went to this year's symposium to learn about the science, history, and art of bread making. Here's what visitors had to say about the symposium. I love the geeky science stuff. Great food. Love yes. the Armenian pizza. How much I'm eating. <laughs> and consuming the carbs. The most interesting thing is just the community. For me, it's the, the, the science of starters. So much information. Very inspiring so far, because everybody has a different outlook. I'm not technically a breadhead, but I think I'm going to be one after being here. So whether you're a breadhead or just a curious mind, check out HRN On Tour for coverage of Charlotte's International Symposium on Bread and an insider's look into Charlotte's food scene. Don't miss our interview with Peter Reinhardt and Kristen Moore to learn more about where to eat on your next trip to Charlotte, a city on the rise. Learn more at charlottesgotalot.com. Welcome back. We'll get you to the rest of our interview with Bill Telepan in just a moment. Caitlin. Andrew. I don't think we have much news today. I'm going to just quickly remind people that if they would like to subscribe to the show, you can do that at Stitcher or iTunes, or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. It's the really the best way to keep current with the show. The show just appears in your queue every week. What could be better than that? Nothing. Zero. Well, lots of things in life, but nothing related to this show. Um, you can also follow the show on social media. The best place to do that is Instagram, although we do post links to our new episodes as they come up on our Facebook page, at Chef Podcast is our social media handle on all platforms. And again, as I said at the top of the show, if you have any feedback about the show, if there are things you would like to see, if there's a particular guest you're gagging to hear, if you're coming to New York or want me to look you up when I come to your town and you're a chef, and this is important, be honest with yourself because it's no good for anybody if it's not true, if you think you would be a good guest, get in touch. 
I don't just have, uh, actually, you know, most people who've been on the show, this is a change I'm going to be making in the next season. Most people who've been on the show do have PR people. And oftentimes those people reach out to me. We're, we're very busy. And I have been, and this is not to denigrate any of our guests because I've loved every episode of this show, but I have been a little reactive in my booking. And one of the things I'm doing is I'm going to, I hate this word that people use, but it's appropriate here. I'm going to be a more careful curator of the next season and really try to have uh, a greater diversity of guests in all meanings of that word, uh, ethnically, age-wise, geographically, um, uh, sexual orientation, and profession. We're going to have a couple of non-chef guests, but who I think will fit into the mix the way a good DJ creates a mix. I think it's going to be a really exciting season. There's a few people I already have scheduled and um, I'm excited about it. So if you think you'd be somebody that would add a little something different to the show from what we've heard, reach out. Uh, I know we've had a lot of big name people, but by no means is that all I'm interested in. I, you know, I'm going to, I'm trying to get a food truck person on in the next season. I'm, I'm actually fascinated to maybe get someone who's a chef at a diner, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a culinary student. Um, we, we can't just keep interviewing people who have kind of reached the apex of their career. At some point, that becomes boring. That'll be a big part of the show, but that I don't think can be all the show is. So reach out. I want to hear from you. Please help me help you, <laughs> as my favorite sports agent once said. Okay, that's it. We're now going to return you to the rest of our interview with Bill Telepan. I hope you enjoy the rest of it. I mean, you closed a couple of restaurants. What, do you mind talking about that for a minute? No, like, no. A 10 year run's considered a good run these days. Yeah. But still, was, I mean, what was the, what were, when you think about it at this point, closing the, the, the mothership, Telepan? Well, you know, it's, it's funny, Chris. I, I don't think about it much anymore. It was, it was hard. It was How long hard. has it been now? Huh? How long has it been? Over two years. Okay. Not so, long. No, so it was hard financially um, for 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 me and for us and, and uh, who were involved. And I think uh, you know at the end because there was you know there was bills to be paid. Sure. Um, and uh, but I think emotionally, the thing about it was it was like I really felt a lot of people stayed there a long time. Staff, staff, and I really felt um, sad about that. And I really felt there was a good, and towards the last three years of the restaurant is really, my, so let me tell you what I set it out to be, and this will maybe sort of tell you. So there's a restaurant called Chebreo in, in oh Florence, God. right? Yeah, I, and I, so, I ate there on the trip I got engaged yeah, on. Yeah, so it's, it's, it was my, I ate there with Beverly. We had an amazing meal, and I just was like, you know, the food was terrific. The staff was friendly and terrific. And it was no, it wasn't pretentious. It was just really this casual meal with this amazing creative food. The wine was but great. But not too creative. Not too creative and not kind of like Gotham in a way, but. Um, uh, even less creative. But though. even less, but so. So well, can but, I just say, can I interrupt you for one second? Because I have this sure. enduring memory. So I got engaged in 99. So this is almost 20 years ago. Right. We go to Chebreo. I still remember, I don't, I've never had this at other, re- I'm sure other restaurants do it. It was a hot summer day. We come in and they pour us a splash of wine automatically right. to relax us right. from our day. 
And you're just, that's it. You're yeah. completely seduced. So it's things like then that. Then the waiter, this was something that became popular and annoying in New York in the 80s, but it was charming there. The waiter came over, sat down for a minute, told us about the menu. Right. Yeah. And you're just completely in love. Yeah. You're just completely. So I wanted my restaurant to be that way. I wanted Unassuming. That, unassuming. Great food, terrific wine list, friendly, knowledgeable staff. So interesting. I would like, never have connected that, but it's yeah. so interesting the touchstones people have. Yeah. And so for me, when I was, and so it wasn't until like the seventh year yeah. we had Telepan, um, is when it, to me, it started the feeling like that. I knew the customers, people came in, they had a certain expectation. I had a staff who was there for a good period of time there was a vibe who was a good vibe you were exuding the vibe that you yes. had in like yes. a, it's like a tuning fork and it was not just me yeah it was like the bartenders the certain waiters the runners who were there for a while who knew customers yeah. and um so it was that seventh year where i hit it and it was just i felt great and you know like there'd be moments where the entire bar it was only a 12 seat bar but yep. it would be filled with everyone eating and everyone talking to each other. And they had happened, probably have had dinner with each other a couple times over the years yeah. just because they just show up at the bars. So it was that kind of feeling that I love. And it would spill over. We had a little lounge where we had tables. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. there weren't tables available. They would sit them there. They'd get up. Get, I mean, it was just like this, it was like family all the time. So when it you walked like, in there every day, you just felt awesome. I, yeah, I felt great about it. And yeah. so, and, and I felt that the staff felt great about it, you know, and, and, uh, and and we're really like invested in it, you know, emotionally. And uh, when we closed, it was sad because a lot of people were staff wise. We were sad that we weren't going to be seeing each other every day. Yeah, like the, it's know? like a, the end of a television series. Yeah. Or, and did you, um, you know, it's interesting. I've talked. You know, you were involved with the Gotham, right? Which has had like a thirty-plus year run. Yeah. I've talked to younger chefs, right? Who who are doing very well. The, the ones I always talk about, because it was an on-the-record interview that I published on my blog, are Jeremiah and Fabian down at yeah. Wild Air yeah. and Contra. You know, most younger chefs I know, because of the volume of restaurants that open these days and close, because of the fickleness of the public, they don't expect to be open 30 years. They're like, that's not, that's a thing of the past. That is such a rarity. That is not something to be expected. Did you... When you look back on Telepan, yeah, wanted, did you yeah. expect that maybe you had the potential to I like, was it. live out your days I that there? Was it. You yeah. did. I did. That I, seemed feasible. I was feasible. hoping that would be it. And having been through the experience in hindsight or looking forward, does that seem like something that's just not possible uh, anymore? I, I'm not, I lived on the Upper West Side. I'm well. That restaurant was. I mean, what, everything was in every. All the stars were aligned. Yeah. What more could you have had there? Well, I mean, I, I'm not. See, I'm not sure with what the looming financial situation that restaurants are going to have to face with the, with the uh, wage hike. Yeah. Um, you know, with, and then everything else is, you know, going up. It seems like there's no breaks for restaurants. And the thing about restaurants is it takes a lot of manpower to, to produce. So even like a telepan, which was a, a small restaurant in, in this, in New York city's by New York city standards or a smallish restaurant, um, I had like almost 70 employees. Yeah. And so it's when a you- It's decent-sized business. It's a, so if you take a 70-person law firm, right. right, you're adding one, maybe two zeros to our intake, our revenue, you know? So 
we can't afford to pay people well. We can't afford the, the rising rent costs that are happening. Yeah. And it's like, it, it just doesn't seem possible. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and I'm, you know, I, I, and, 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 you know, I'm lucky to be in Oceana because it's a big restaurant we, and it does, it does fairly well, knock on wood. And I, I don't even know the, fu- I, I can't really speak because I'm not involved in it, but I don't know the, the future of, of any restaurants, like yeah. what's going to happen. And, and the thought, like people are like, well, are you, would you ever open your own restaurant again? I'd be like, I'd be scared to, unless it was something where it was so small where I can open five days a week and and maybe have one or two people working it with me. Maybe a prefix or something. Maybe kind of like a prefix. Some guarantee yes, of, right. a, of a of a per, per head, head thing. Right, because that you, kills a lot of people. And the thing people is, don't who, think this is a thing, right? Right, yes, there, it is a there thing. There are people, neither of us should name names, but we there are people who have restaurants that are seemingly very successful, but the check average is very low. Right. So they right. have full restaurants, yeah. but people aren't drinking enough. They're not eating yeah. enough. So if you're, if you're so, so it's like, almost like I an mean, illusion. That's how I would do it if I do it again. Or the other way is to go the complete opposite: is to open a place like this, where you're in, you're in an area with a built business, like business and theater. You're paying a shitload in rent, but you're doing a huge volume of customers at a good check average, right. you know? Um, I mean, we're lucky there's a lot of banks, there's a lot of law firms, there's NBC, there's Fox in the area. So New York ha- Times. The New York Times. Yeah. I mean, we have this, we have, uh, you know, we have a giant party rooms that we, and this place does parties all the time. They built yeah. a great party business here. So there's a lot here. And I would either do one or, th- I would not open a telepan again. Right. You know, because the thing about what was happening to me at Telepan, as everything was going up in cost, I had to charge more. And since it was a neighborhood restaurant, it went from a, a neighborhood restaurant to a, a special occasion neighborhood restaurant. So, like, the people who were coming, yeah. literally were coming once a week, were now coming. And it wasn't like, oh, let's go there for our 50th birthday. It's like, we're going to go there for our 23rd anniversary, honey. We're going to have a special, special yeah, meal. Right, we're gonna, right. I'll go for my 48th birthday. Right, right, right. <laughs> So, Bill, so, yes. So you're here. How long have you been here now? Almost two years. So this restaurant goes back. I don't even know. Twenty six years. The original location was uh, what was it? Fifty fifth, fifty fourth between Madison and Park. Okay. And now it's in this. I mean, the original one looked almost like a a, a cruise ship or yes. an ocean liner. Yes. This is uh, that was a bi level restaurant. This yes. is a single level restaurant. It is sprawling. Sprawling. Yes. Um, a lot it, of square footage here. It's. Um, uh, we, yeah. So you came here. I'm, can I be? I'm going to be honest for two seconds. Like it was surprising news when you came here. People were like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Bill went to t- could, because you'd had your own place, and this place had had a series. You know, Rick Moon had been here, and Ben Pollinger had been here, and yeah. So I come in to visit you a few times. You seem like a happy camper. Yeah, I am. It's a. I you mean, just lit up when I said that. It, well, it's a great gig for me. It's, so can you just talk about like what is what you get here at this point in your career. And I'd love for you to tell me what might not be obvious to the long-term Bill Telepan observer about the menu here. The, you know, cause, right. cause this is, as you said earlier, is a joke, right? But it is true. You were known as the kind of like, you know, the, the, the farm to table, the farm, guy. the veggie fruit guy. Yeah. And then this is a, this is unmistakably a seafood restaurant. Unmistakably. There's right. even a lobster tank. Yeah. So tell me how, how, how is, how, what is the, I, the Bill Telepan imprint here that might not be obvious 
well, to people. Well, I think the, the imprint is that you're still seeing that farm-to-table seasonal sensibility. But it comes in sure. a fish package. No, well, it also comes in forms of vegetables, uh-huh. too. I mean, they're all composed plates, and yeah. all the dishes uh, are still, there's a lot I buy from the from local people mm-hmm. and seasonally. And, mm-hmm. and so it's just sort of like, you just put a piece of fish on top. <laughs> <laughs> For lack of okay, a better, you for say lack that of a joke, but let me ask you something right. related. The first person who said this to me again, not to, I should get Alfred on the show, given that he gave me my start. But um, uh, you know, Alfred, I think was the first chef that said this to me. But a lot of chefs have said it to me since. Most chefs I know find fish and shellfish. Some people don't like the term seafood, but seafood in general, seafood to be way more varied interesting uh, to work with, then if you're gonna talk in broad categories, poultry, right, beef, right, fish is so much more diverse than yeah. shellfish. The textures, the flavors, the, Just I mean, it's- taking it's, one fish and serving it raw as opposed to cooking it, it makes it very interesting. Or smoking it, or and curing so, it. And I was, so I actually questioned whether I should take this job at the very, at the onset of when I first found out, um, they when they called, they wanted to talk to me about the job. I was like, seafood? I don't know. I built my career. Like you said, yeah. I built my career. But in a way, it was, to me, it just, it, it didn't, like, to me, it was in, it didn't really matter. I cooked fish before. Sure. Um, and I felt very comfortable with it after thinking about it. And it was just, a, and what I got excited because, in a way, I wasn't, there was so much more that I wanted to do with seafood at my previous restaurants that I couldn't do because you had to sort of have some room for the other genres of food right. out there. Yeah. And, you know, I built, and at Telepan, it was, I did a lot more meat and vegetable dishes uh-huh. than, than anything. And so actually the seafood was very small. So what I couldn't, I didn't really do like crudos or raw. So I created a category here, which was great. They didn't have before. I created that category here. Um, but I was also able to sort of, and they didn't really have a lot of pastas, which I like making because I have this beautiful pasta machine. So I created, I, I started doing small amounts of that here. Um, and and so I was able to just sort of think of it. I said, Bill, just look at all. So I build my menu instead of around the vegetable now, around the fish, but then revert back to the vegetable. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so here are the... So when I do a menu and I'm putting the menu together for a season, like the big menu, I mean, we change it a lot throughout, but it's like, all right, here are the 10 fishes or 15 fishes that I, I could possibly use this time of year that are mm-hmm. good and local or, you because know, I like to keep it somewhat, you can't keep it totally all local, but um, especially because we have so many different things going on, plus oysters and yada, yada. Um, but it's like, what are these fish that are going to be in that? that time period, here are the vegetables, here are the ways to cook things, mm-hmm. and here's what I could do it all. So it makes it, I, I, I kind of look forward, I love it in a it's way. It's like another gear. I, it's kind of whole, it's, it's just like, like another, a whole another, another gear. Yeah, and it's really, so that's what keeps me going. I yeah. think it's kind of like if, like I was looking at other jobs and I could have just sort of taken what I was doing at Telepen and just shifted it to another house in a way. But this is sort of more, it's a bit of a, it's a challenge, it was a challenge. and. In a way of to say like, hey, yeah. you're, you got to change gears and you now have to become a seafood rest- chef. Right. But I don't have to become a seafood chef. I'm still a chef. Yes. Who just happens to be serving a lot of seafood. Well, I think you just do 
you know, in ter- uh, proportionally more seafood than most people do. Yeah. The thing here that was different is I think all the previous chefs before me were globally, were global chefs. Like mm. Ben had a lot of Latin and, and, and Asian right. ingredients on. Yeah. I think Rick did the same thing. Rick did a uh, little of everything, yeah. Cornelius, who was a brilliant oh, chef. Yeah, Cornelius Gallagher. Yeah, he yeah. did a, his, he yeah. did. I think he probably was a little more focused than Ben was in terms of cuisine. So for me, it was like, you know, I said, well, you're hiring me. I'm going to be a seasonal local guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be strictly American. So my whole idea was that, you know, I want, the, I want LaBernard, or LaBernardin. LaBernardin's the great French seafood restaurant in New York and Murray is the great Italian seafood restaurant. There's no great American seafood mm, restaurant. You said so, that explicitly. So this is when we were ta- internally we're talking. Internally, said, that's like the, and I said, that's the bullseye. That's the bullseye. That's the bullseye we're going after to, be, to become the great um, uh, sea- American seafood restaurant yeah. in New York City. So, and then American. American. So, right. right. Whatever well, this that place means. does have I don't know if you'll. I don't know your feelings about it. You don't have to say anything one way or the other as I say it. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but you know, it's interesting. Uh, I think roughly ten years into its existence now, Porterhouse, Michael Monaco's restaurant, is a very American feeling, yeah, classic American steakhouse, right? Right, right. and. There's a vibe of this dining room that's not that unlike right. what they have, especially with their remodel they did a few years ago. Right. It is a similar feeling, and it yeah. is distinctly American. Yeah. This could be, where, had I not walked, if you, instead of me walking in here, if someone blindfolded me, right. put earplugs in, I didn't know I was on 49th Street, right. and dropped me in this restaurant, I could be uh, in some co- any coastal town, it could be anywhere. In the United... Yeah. In, uh, definitely on the East yeah. Coast. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, no, so I... I could be in Boston. Right. I could be and I, in... I yeah. think the things that we... And the things that we do here, there's a certain... There are some uh, uh, traditional sort of American seafood style restaurants. Items on like a shrimp cocktail, the oyster bar, that whole raw bar. I mean, the 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 king crab. We That's done here. You're not going to see that at La Bernardin or right. Maria. Right. Right. And, you know, while, um, and, you know, at Maria he'll do a lot of crudos, and, but Eric does a lot of, he has a whole raw section, but they're very, it's very, his is, he's global also, but it, it's, it's, it's totally, there's something French about it. And maybe it's because he's French and Maggie is French. It, it, it speaks with a French accent. It speaks accent with a French walks, accent when it wants to. it walks, right. it it walks with the French swagger. And, you know, you go to Maria and you get these <laughs> or brilliant. Or swims with a French yeah, swagger. Yeah, you get, you get these brilliant passes that Michael does there, and it, but they're all seafood-centric. And so here it's like I feel like my whole idea was to sort of just keep do what I do. Yeah. Or did. Yeah. For the previous 20 years and just apply it. it to seafood. And here we are. I love it. And I'm it. having a good time. Talk to me briefly. What's this? Is it, how often do you do it? This Saturday night thing that you do? Oh, so every once a month we yeah. do a 14 course omakase style dinner. Um, that's at the raw bar. So what we figured is that. How many seats? So it's, we do, we, um, 12 to 20. And I, I say 20 because there's 12 at the raw bar where we would see people. And then there's an additional eight. Mm. we can do in the back if a group wants to be part uh-huh. of it. And it's very personal. Um, so it's, you know, the first seven 
to eight items or seven items of raw fish. So like you're at a sushi counter. Yeah. I'm up there, I get the filet, I slice the fish, we dress it, we make it fancy, and we feed you, and it's generally one or two bites. And, um, and then we bring you into the kitchen and um, we do a course in the back part at the, uh, at the uh, private dining table uh, rest, uh, kitchen here. And it's kind of like a stretcher, you know, people stretch and we, this week we're, so I'll tell you, so then you go back and we do three hot courses and then three dessert courses. And you're interacting with customers. I'm, all, I'm up there pretty much. So and it's the a hot different course, menu each time. Yeah, different, it changes about 50%. So each time. So okay. like the, from the original menu, okay. it, uh, you know, it might take like half the items off and change it, but there's a couple that I kept uh -huh. on. And, and so we, um, and we do, and then the rest come out, the sous chef will produce out of the kitchen and then we'll break, bring it up to the, and we'll finish it up there. Like we did a lamb dish last time where I had the saddle of lamb and the different parts of the saddle, like the tenderloin and, and all that. And we, we sort of, I brought the lamb from the oven, we sliced it up there. And it's, it, and it's fun because it's a way for me to sort of have this creative outlet because there's certain dishes I just couldn't do. It lets you color, outs lets you color outside the lines. Exactly, and yeah. I can't. I can't. It's like things that you can't do at this volume. Like yeah. it's it's tweezer cooking. In but a here's way. what I think is interesting for people. First of all, I assume this was completely driven by your own desire to do it. Well, the the idea came about because Monday through Friday our lounge area is packed wall to wall people yeah, yeah, yeah. after work. And well, before you came here, you know when I would come here if I would meet a friend from like the Times yeah. or the Wall Street Journal, right. like I would end up at the raw bar. This yeah. was their right. place. So you'd sit there and on Saturday while the bar will fill up and do well on the surrounding table, it doesn't get packed like it does. So we were thinking of a way to sort of how to bring attention to or add more, bring more people in yeah. or bring more attention yeah. to Oceana. So you could have gone one of two ways. You could have been like, oh, we're gonna do a $25 prefix menu at the raw bar. And, or you could do a $175 14 course menu where Bill's at the raw bar, you know. Yeah. And so that's what we decided to go that way. And it allows me, cause you know, to sort of, and it's funny cause before you came, I was putting the final touches to this coming Saturday's menu um, where we, uh, you know, just, it, it allows me to, to really create dishes that I would, wouldn't even think about doing using ingredients that I would never use here because of the volume and just really, you know, thinking outside the normal box. Part of it was also inspired because, you know, I work down at the Institute of Culinary Education as their sustainability director. Mm. And I work with the local, their hydroponic garden, which is run by a company called Farm One. And they can grow up to 250 different types of yeah. things. Yeah. And so I went and did a tasting down at their at their uh, main farm, and just tasted some amazing things. Just you know, just to sort of see what they have out there, and you know, from different kinds of flowers to different different types of sorrels and herbs, all different. It was great. It was really enlightening. And so from that um, from that moment on, we were like, this is the direction we're going to go. So we were able to sort of sort of base it on like I talked to them you know, this is what I want you to grow for me. They'll grow it in a month. It's generally a micro or something like that. There's also, you know, whether it's seasonal, whether it's uh, any, and we could do anything and it could be fun. So this one is actually going to be a fun one because we decided, one of the one of the sommeliers here said, hey, chef, you know, we have, the day is that we're doing this is Bastille Day. Mm, sure. So, and we have a ton, an, amaz an amazing list of French wines here why don't we do a Bastille Day menu? So I'm doing, so it's based on uh, 
all these dishes. So we're doing a, a fluke meniere that's raw. So doing mm-hmm. doing a brown butter sort of mm-hmm. vinaigrette weird thing. And uh, we're doing a bouillabaisse raw dish. So take mm-hmm. on that. We're doing, uh, I'm doing, I bring an escargot in. So we're doing an escargot oh, gratinet. We're doing a foie gras Rossini. Mm-hmm. We're doing, so there's a lot of things that I, we're, we're doing a play on. And it's been fun putting that menu together. It's something we, I had a sort of an idea of what I was going to do because it was the summer and he completely blew it out of the water and we're going French with it. So it's things like that that I can have. So if there's one day I want to do an Italian theme or if I, it's, and the idea is I'm not using, you know, so there'll be some Asian inspired dishes, but I don't, since I'm an American chef, I don't bring in Asian ingredients. It's sort of like you take those ideas and sort of Americanize them. Yeah, so things like that. Totally. So it's been fun. That's great. So I we're gonna come in front Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So we're doing one in July. We're taking August off and then we're op- we do one in I don't know the exact dates, but one in September, October, November, okay. not December. And then I'll be announcing dates for 2019 soon. And I'm and hope- what do you call it? We call it the Telepan Saturday series at the Oceana Raw Bar. Okay. So it's long- first of all, I have to say you became incredibly animated when you were just talking about all this. Uh, But, you know, this is also, to me, an interesting thing for people who are out there because, you know, we talked about restaurants coming and going and, you know, being here and and what, you know, this is a great gig, Um, but also finding room to have this like a playpen. Yes, exactly. And also a place for people who maybe are fans of yours or had maybe read about you, but it was before they came to New York or maybe they're visiting and they want to see kind of what you were all about, you know, before and and watch you stretch your wings a little. But here's what's interesting to me about it. You know, you were saying before about opening another place, right? Right. When friends of mine tell me, especially people who have already done a few, that they want to open in New York City, I'm like, I I literally, I beg (laughs) you. I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. Just rent alone. I mean, when I think about- Don't do it. When I think about chefs who are successful outside of New York, and I talk to them about their rents. It's like if my if Telepan was in a different city, yeah, you'd be fine. I'd be fine. Yeah, but what I was going to say is <laughs> the, the other thing I think people don't think about. This came up a lot on my book tour when I would get asked questions, and finally something clicked for me. I haven't read it anywhere. The reason there are so many restaurants in a city like New York, it's not supply and demand. The reason there are so many restaurants is that there are so many people who want to be in the restaurant business, <laughs> right? Like when you came up, there were fewer restaurants. I hear this all the time from people. Someone else involved with the Institute of Culinary Education, David Waltuck. He's like, there weren't that many restaurants. Well, but so what I was going to say is I think chefs today need to be creative to find the matrix of business success right. and 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 stability right. and creative outlet and it seems to me like this this monthly thing you're this, describing this gives me that for sure is yes. a perfect yeah. outlet yes. for yes. you yes it's great right? it's so, terrific yeah. so it, it, everybody wins you right. know or i think about alex stupak used to do that tasty menu downtown right. at one of his empayon restaurants right. he had a counter right yeah um it doesn't have to be like uh, it doesn't have to be um 100% your childhood fantasy, right? Seven days a week, twenty, no. uh, and that's three hundred and sixty-five days a year. And the reason I don't do it every Saturday is because I said to somebody there, I was like, I don't want to have to work every Saturday. Well, it's I not wanna... just that you're developing dishes that you're going to cook. Yeah, I mean, maybe totally. they'll come back next year, yeah, or as but... a special. But you're developing dishes, so it takes that time, are not going right. to get a lot of play, right? You know, so... I did a special dinner for my book, Dan Kluger. 
did a, an amazing dinner. Uh, it was a one-night-only event right. based on this famous Stanford Court dinner that's in my book. He spent weeks. He did a dish based on Jeremiah Tower's dish and a dish based yeah. on Mark Miller's dish. And a, He served that dinner to like 32 people one night. Right. Now, those may come up again as a special. Sure. But that was a lot of work. You're doing this to yourself once a month. Yeah. So it, it ends up being a lot of work, and it's very specific. And, and, yeah. uh, and it has to... And it, the menu, it's a 14-course menu, so it has to flow properly. Yeah. So you're, you, have, you might think of all these things, but then you have to put them in order. Then we have to pair with, you know, with the wines. And, and then it's, it's, kind, of, uh, it's, 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 it, it's uh, kind of a cool uh, – I mean, it, like you said, it helps – gives me a chance to sort of um, think about um, doing some other things. You know, yeah, but I also think to, it's great that after this many years of cooking – you still want to do that, but it's also it's also a result of that this many years of cooking because you know just having to come in here and listen it's it's exciting it's good I still have my my creativeness in, in a lot yeah. of dishes here, but it also allows me to sort of take a step. If I was just doing this over and over and over again, it, it can get monotonous. Although I still love it. I mean, I still like doing that. There are times though I want. Uh, I just want like a normal day. What do you mean by that? <laughs> by going into work, doing a good dinner, lunch service, doing a good dinner service, everybody showing up have, to work. But don't you have that? <laughs> yeah, you do. But some days it's, but I have a lot going on in, in my life other than, uh, than Oceana, fortunately. Well, that, yes. But um, um, with, uh, with other outlets, but um, which are great and I love being a part of too. Um, but there's always like that one. It's always nice to have those days when I don't have to do all this stuff. Yes, so. when all the tumblers <laughs> fall into place. So the one thing I want to say to you, uh, what you were talking about before, is um, when there's much more restaurants. But the way I like to look at it is this, is that when I was a cook back in the late 80s, yeah. there was 10 good chefs, a dozen good chefs. In New right? York. In New York. Yeah. And say in the next 10 years, 10 chefs came out of there yeah. that were good. So now you have 120. You mean 10 came out of each place? Each place. Yeah. So there's 120. Yeah. And then- 10 more came out. Right. So now there's 1,200 yeah. really good chefs. Like, yeah. really good chefs. There's yeah. so many good chefs in New York right. now. Not just restaurants, but really good. Right, but are you saying this as a counterpoint to what I was no, saying? No, I'm saying it's sort of agreeing no, with you, but adding, not, to adding to what you're saying. But not each of those people is going to be able to have a long-running restaurant. No, but-, but In New York. But, they might be able to do it Somewhere else, but what? But the or thing, they might be able to open something specialized. Yes, but the thing I think is, people are going to have to be creative as I, we move forward. Yes, but what's happened is that why you know when you talk to about Fabian and, um, and Jeremiah, Jeremiah yeah. um, and they're saying they don't expect a restaurant to be open thirty years, and partly because you know you have a hot restaurant. I think you're if you get three to five years out of a place. Yeah, that's what they said good. to me. If we make it five years, we'll feel like we did good. Yeah. Exactly. And okay, I think that's, that's that's a sea change. Yeah. That, that is a sea change. Definitely sea change. For people who for a place when they said that to me, Wild Air was in its second year, that place yeah. it's still red hot. Yeah. Okay. They were talking about Wild Air. <laughs> I mean, they weren't talking about like a restaurant that was struggling, that was under the radar, right. or a neighborhood place in Brooklyn. Right. They were talking about one of the hottest places in yeah. New York City. I haven't been there yet. I want to go. Wild Air? I want to go. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, now I hear it's great. It's great. Yeah. I, I will say this about it. And if you guys are listening, I mean this with total respect. When I first went there, I, and I mean this as a compliment actually, I didn't find it to be that revolutionary a restaurant. Uh, it's, it's, 
It's very comfortable. It feels a little bit like a party. It's all kind of high boy table. Right. Some of them are communal. Um, it's only maybe, I would guesstimate, 45, 50 seats. It's no reservation. Right. Uh, it's mostly small plates. Even the main courses aren't that big. Um, and the food is delicious. It's not the same stuff you see everywhere else. But it's not, you know, it's not w- out there. You know, it's, it's, it's relatable, delicious food. Well, I guess it's out there maybe. I mean, from what I've read and saw, it seems, it seems interesting and uh, interesting, different. Yes. Yeah, but um, not crazy different. But I think maybe because we're, maybe are we jaded because of that? Like you'll read, I'm like the everyday guy might not, you know. I think, when you think about my pe- I the think people one of I the, know. I think part of what was amazing about that place was how accessible it was. Yeah. You know, I've never ordered, I've never picked my own wine there. You know, they have so many wines by the glass. I right. always put myself in the hands of whoever's doing the wine. Right. I, I feel like some white. I want something with bubbles. I surprise me. Give me something. Right. You know. Give me something. You know, kind of radical. Sorry, I'm looking at my watch. I, is it three? It's not three thirty. It's got to be like it's four thirty. Fucking watch. Anyway, <laughs> just got it fixed. Um, okay, we're good. We're good. Yeah, this was great. I'm glad. I had a great time too. Thank I, you for I could doing have gone. This. I could. We well, should do a we part do two. It, we'll do a part two. <laughs> We'll do it around the holidays, and you can give me one of those foie gras terrines you used to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah, still yeah. do that yeah, for friends? I did it. Um, this was Bill used to first... do a, Bill used to do for friends at Christmas. No, it was staff, not friends. Well, but you gave me one once. I gave you one I think one. you used to give one to Eric when you were next door to Liberty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, there so were a couple, se- of, yeah, a couple of times. Oh, it there was, were a couple of honorary yeah, friends. There was a couple of honorary friends yeah. at the time. Sure. And he gave it to, it was a little ceramic porcelain yeah. little uh, the, thing. The Pilico, a Pilico. Oh, so uh, sweet. Terrine. Such a generous so thing. So I, I did him. I used to do I do every year for the staff. So this was, you I didn't still? get a chance to do it my first year here because I was okay. so overwhelmed. Right. So we'll um, do one of those. But this year, yeah. All right, we'll do it. I'll make you one. I'll make you one. We'll eat it together on air. Oh, take it home and have it for Christmas. Have it with your Chinese food. (laughs) Good to see you. You too. Thank you. And that's our show for this week. Caitlin, this is something else we've got to change. What? Well, it's always, hey, everybody. We tried to change it this week, but it went off the rails. The way we start the show. Yeah. Well, you surprised me. I mean, maybe if I had spent a little time thinking about it, I would have done something Fascinating. I wasn't criticizing you. I'm just <laughs> okay. saying we. Right. Oftentimes I say we and you hear you. Because uh, you're not saying I. Because I don't mean I. I mean we, collectively. Okay. So, all right, keep going. Anyway, the, um, the show always opens the same. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This yeah. is Andrew Talks to Chefs. Da, yeah. Da, da. And then mid-show, it's... Uh, Welcome, Welcome back. back. We're going to get you back to the rest of our interview with blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then at the end of the show, it's, and that's our show for this week. Yeah. we got to change that. All right. Especially because people binge. Right. right. So they get sick of it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So we gotta we got to change that up, too, in the off season. Got it. Yeah. But for now, so again, reach out. Please. Let us, any thoughts you have are welcome. And with that, Bill Telepan, thanks, buddy. It was great to see you again. We've seen each other twice recently, and we're, we're actually making plans to go to dinner at Raza, the pizza place that uh, Phil Rosenthal talked about. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, Billy and I have rekindled our friendship through the I show. Like that. Isn't that nice? Yes. Uh, thanks, David Tattashore, for splicing these things together. Caitlin, thank you. My pleasure, Andrew. And all of you out there in podcast land, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it, and we'll see you back 
next week, if not sooner, on Andrew Talks to Chefs.